Support for this podcast comes from Invent Together. I bet you didn't know that inventing activity by black inventors peaked in 1899, and it has never recovered. Black and Hispanic college graduates patent at half the rate of white college graduates. That's just one of the reasons why you need to know about Invent Together. When our patent system gets more diverse, our nation will get stronger and more successful. Find out how you can help diverse inventors and unleash economic opportunity at inventtogether.org. Hi, and welcome to The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Meara, Democratic pollster. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster. And each week we bring you the polls driving the latest news in politics, tech, and pop culture. So today we're testing out a new way of recording, so we're not together, but I think it sounds pretty good. It's been one of those weeks where we've both been a little flying by the seat of our pants, literally and figuratively, (laughs) parody Margie going straight from a red eye to getting ready for my daughter's birthday. Last week, I went straight from the airport to parent-teacher conferences with my suitcase. <laughs> this week, I went straight, straight from the red eye to like, it, you know, to the home team, like immediately doing kids' birthday stuff. Um, so you know, the poster we are, child for having it all, Margie. <laughs> I, I, I somehow there's always like a there are always cookies involved. Whenever I have that moment, there's always like somehow there's like a stick of butter like melting in front of me whenever I'm like, this, I'm juggling a lot of things. Oh, I'm here. I am with my KitchenAid mixer. It's, I'm, I'm envisioning <laughs> one of those like stock photos that somebody would throw into a PowerPoint of like, you know, a woman in a business suit and she's got the cell phone in one hand and like a kid in the other. And like, I know, like, right. You know. It'd be one of those things where like Sheryl Sandberg's like efforts to have better clip art, more feminist clip art would be like, seriously, we don't need any more of this like, woman with a briefcase in the kitchen. Yes, that is ridiculous. I support that effort. Anyway, so that's why we're at separate places and I'm in my closet and Kristen is in her fabulous living room. Um, But the news and the polls must go on. What are the top lines this week, Kristen? Sweet home Alabama, a southern man don't need him round anyhow. Uh, We will take a look (laughs) at some of the polls. See, I didn't sing it, Margie. Are you proud of me? I did not sing this time. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Everyone else is secretly singing it along with you. <laughs> we will talk about the latest polling, including some super secret, definitely not intentionally leaked polling coming out of Alabama. Then Mr. 40% is back, depending on what your rounding protocols look like. We'll talk about the president's job approval. And we'll also talk about presidential politics on the other side of the aisle. Joe Mentum, Cuomo-mentum, all sorts of fun. What is 2020 looking like for the Dems? Then tax reform is in front of Congress. How are the polls shaping up on the new policy push from Republicans? And then Thanksgiving is coming. It's a time with family usually. How do Americans look at family? We will discuss some fresh, hot-off-the-presses data Um, from the American Family Survey. And then Black Friday is approaching. You've got to have a game plan. We're going to talk about some of the data around the retail choices people are making this Thanksgiving. But first, our poll of the week or our polls of the week is everything. I nominate for poll of the week a poll that you and I do not actually have access to, which is (laughs) this NRSC poll where all we know about it is that it has – Doug Jones, the Democrat in the Alabama Senate race, up by 12. 
which is like an eye-popping number. Right. And they didn't release who the pollster outlet was, right? I just heard about this poll as I was driving home. Chuck Todd was talking about on Meet the Press. Um, And it was done by, so it was done by the NRSC. They didn't say which pollster did it, right? Is that the case? Is that what happened? In no, I looked for it and in no coverage was I able to find it. Yeah. I but guess, right now, you know. If you look at the Real Clear Politics average of recent polls, there is a Fox 10 strategy research poll that has more at plus six. There's an Emerson poll that has more at plus 10. There is a JMC analytics poll that has Jones plus four. That's again, the Democrat and then opinion savvy at a tie. So more in the public polling is not looking great. Although I, I actually think if the election was held today, more would win. Now the election is not being held today and there's plenty of room for these numbers to have further attrition or for voters to just come around to deciding they don't care and they bounce back up. Who knows? It's a strange year. It's 2017. Yeah. And then, I mean, then it was pretty interesting that Morning Consult and Politico did a poll nationally. So there's been a lot of talk about what's been going on in the state in Alabama. People, you know, Republicans who think that he should continue, evangelicals who still support him or that they like him more, even after all the news that's come out. So the the Morning Consult Politico poll showed um, that actually half of Republicans find the accusation credible and pretty bipartisan support for more ending his campaign. Now, that's nationally. That's not in Alabama. It's easier for somebody outside the state to say, yeah, sure. It doesn't sound, you know, sounds like he should get out, right, than somebody who's in the state and who knows him and maybe voted for him in the primary. Um, But that's a pretty big difference between how folks in the state are responding, where while you see Jones on the move, it's not as if, you know, it's not maybe a full cratering of more support, while the national Republican numbers, you know, are not so, are not great for more. Um, And I'm sure that's, you see that reflected in how Republicans are trying to handle the situation. I mean, what do you think when you think about how different groups of Republicans are viewing this latest, latest scandal? On the one hand, I completely understand Republicans who want to find any possible way to salvage this seat for the party because Republicans have a very slim margin in the Senate. You know, every senator thinks they're the most important person on the planet. And so, you know, as we'll get to when we talk about tax reform, things like that, you get one or two senators who think, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going to hold out for a better deal and nothing happens. So making that, losing one makes that even harder. So you have a lot of conservatives who I think are making this like, ends justify the means kind of argument in their minds. And it, I think, is pretty pretty horrible. But I also think that if you're Roy Moore, this strategy he has chosen of doubling down and saying, heck no, this is all the fake news media and it's political lies out to get me. I don't like it. I wish that he would step down and slink away somewhere, but I get the political incentives not to. Because he can go down as a martyr. The establishment abandoned me if he loses. Or I won, and yet I, you know, the Republican Party is 
uh, unseating me. That's not fair. And I just, I don't understand. I mean, I, or I do understand him being like, you know what? I will just go down as a martyr. That's totally fine. Instead of him walking away, even though most Republicans nationwide think, ugh, this is gross. And I wish this mess would stop. You know, and the other thing too, is that this is not out. This is not off brand for more to say, you know, to want to put a thumb in the eye of the establishment. I mean, not obviously, you know, this is, he's built his career on this. So it's, you know, and that's part of the reason he's doubling down. That's just, you know, that's been his brand. If, if, you know, that's been one of his core components of his brand. He's been in the news for decades. He didn't just come on the scene with this election. He's been in the news for decades. We've been talking about Roy Moore. So, um, the election is in December. We're going to see what happens. I mean, there's an incredible, I'm kind of amazed at how continuous the coverage is of this. Um, you see about half of Americans say they've been hearing some or a lot about this. I think that's kind of a lot for a news story like this, but, um, you know, it's just, it's also been swept up into all of the intrigue with all the other sexual harassment um, and assault yeah, it, news this stories story that have has, been out there. This has hooks in like eight of the big other news stories right now, right? It has yeah. a tentacle in sexual harassment and abuse of women. It has a tentacle in, gosh, the Republican Party is falling apart. It has a tentacle in what, how has Trump changed politics? And so right. there are just so many different threads to this story that have elevated it where, and I don't like engaging in whataboutism, but he, this is not the only U.S. Senator or Senate candidate that is like currently facing some pretty unsavory allegations, but like this is the one that takes the spotlight. And I'm not like, oh, liberal media bias, but it is like, wow. I mean, it's just this like perfect storm of eight different national threads coming right. together in and and what's also crazy, if you think about it, is this is like the bizarro reverse negative, like photo negative of 2019 and 2010, where in, or pardon me, 2009, 2010, 2009, you have Barack Obama gets sworn in. I think Republicans struggled in a couple of special elections. Um, and then you wind up having uh, the Virginia governor's race and the New Jersey governor's race go to Bob McDonnell and Chris Christie. Then you have Scott Brown win a Senate seat in like the bluest of blue states, Massachusetts. Uh, mm -hmm. That like changes the balance of power in the Senate and all that. And so this is like, it's, it's the reverse, it's the double reverse opposite, right? You have Republicans win the White House, they hang on to a few in these special elections, and then Virginia and New Jersey, boom, they flip and everybody starts going, oh, is this, what does this tell us about the national environment? And then you have one like real crazy black swan type event happen where a super blue, you know, red state becomes blue. Anyhow, it's just, uh, as they say on Battlestar Galactica, um, all this has happened before and will happen again. <laughs> you know, and the other thread that folks on the left sometimes enjoy is, you know, cultural warrior gets comeuppance. You know, that's a thread that when you have somebody who is so judgmental of others and their personal behavior be revealed to have their own very obvious flaws, that, you know, th that's a that's a thread that I think 
is often, you know, that's that gets a lot of coverage, right? When that when you see something like that happen. So this is one of those examples for sure. Okay. So meanwhile, in Trump world, he's Mr. Forty Percent, just barely. Yeah, depending on how you round. Uh, he's at 39.5 as of when we recorded this show. So I think I almost get to call him Mr. 40%. I mean, I'm, I really ought to just let this go. I don't think anybody else is amused by it, but me. Um, <laughs> right now, if, despite the fact that his approval rating is at 39.5%, when voters are asked, and this is from a morning consult poll for Politico, if the 2020 presidential election was held today, would you vote to reelect President Trump or vote for the Democratic candidate? And as of right now... Donald Trump only gets 34% in that question compared to unknown generic Democrat. Uh, and Ugh, when you read, that's a terrible number for that's him. That's really bad. That's lower than his job that's approval. That's lower yeah. than his job approval. And then you well, say. Well, there's, you know, there's a rule of thumb. It, it's, you know, it's a bit of a shorthand, right? That it's hard to get a vote higher than your job approval rating. And you see that. You see that here. Yeah, this is, well, and then when you add a name, so instead of generic Democrat, you add a name, Joe Biden, who would you vote for? Joe Biden wins 46-35, although I think it's not good. Well, I don't know, Marge, I'd be interested in your take on this. On the one hand, sometimes the generic whatever candidate has the advantage of not having any baggage beyond the party label. Um, so... Maybe I shouldn't be surprised that Joe Biden polls two points lower than generic Democrat. Um, yeah, that's probably not uh, great news for him if this is something he's considering. Yeah, there's just a few ways to look at it. I mean, one is it's not really that different, right? 34-48 when it's generic versus 35-46. It's not the world's biggest difference, right? That's one way to look at it. The other way to look at it is People see, you know, see the generic Democrat and they ascribe onto that any whoever their favorite person would be or the fact that they just want anyone other than than Trump. Um, when you give them Biden, they ha that's a person that they can, you know, react to. And obviously Joe Biden is popular and Joe Biden is popular among Democrats. Um, so it's not a surprise that his numbers are where they are there. Um, but it may have, there may be some people say, well, or maybe independents, I bet, I don't have the cross steps handy, but I bet among independents, you then see a little bit more movement here. Um, and when you, if you were to do polls like this internally, you would look at a gen, you use a generic in addition to a named ballot question as a way to kind of explore different targets and different audiences. So if, you know, they're not usually this close, right? Often they're quite different. Let's say you had a generic Dem and then you had no name Democrat, nobody ever, you know, Rudy Kazuti, let's say, right? Let's say you're Rudy Kazuti as your. <laughs> what was Rudy Kazuti from? That is from um, Bill O'Reilly when we did our thing where we were oh, talking Nate about Silver. Nate Silver. <laughs> <laughs> so if you had Rudy Kazuti in this ballot test instead. <laughs> and Rudy Kazuti was an unknown person, which we should assume he is or she, I guess. 
And you, you, in your internal poll, you would say, ah, okay, a generic candidate gets 48%, but Rudy Kazuti gets 25%. So let's look at the cross tab of people who are, are, are generic, but not Kazuti. <laughs> that would be, that would be your banner point. Generic Dem, not Kazuti. Um, but that would not, you wouldn't, you wouldn't do that here because they're basically the same. There's not a whole lot of difference between generic versus Joe Biden. What if you ask the question? <laughs> This is a really, this would be a somewhat depressing question, but one that is essentially, uh, would it's not, it's not a would you vote for, you know, the incumbent versus a generic someone else, but it's kind of a, for whom would you rather vote? Uh, or like a question that's basically like, there is, I would literally vote for any other living, breathing human being than the person who is currently in office. Or I would probably vote for someone else, though there are a handful of people who would be worse. Like, is there a really <laughs> depressing way to structure the question where you're asking someone like, okay, like, how, what percentage of people do you think would actually be worse in this office than the incumbent? Is it, uh, you know, only 1% of, of potential candidates would be worse? Is it... Uh, you know, they're great. 99% of people would be worse than this person. Like, it's, I don't think it's a very cognitively easy question to ask, but I would be amused uh, at the answers. I feel like I've seen a, a bumper sticker like this in Tacoma Park somewhere, like that says, like, literally any Democrat or something, 2020. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I don't know where they sell that, but I, I saw that in, uh, in Tacoma Park. was So it's kind of like that. I mean, you know, then you're kind of asking the real act, right? Would you vote to reelect Trump? Would you consider someone else, or would you would you vote to replace him? And that's a different way of asking the vote without another person on there, without another ballot, you know, either another named person or a generic Democrat. So those are all different ways that people ask the ballot, and they provide slightly different responses depending on you know, who the people are, who the incumbent is, and they're all different ways of measuring an incumbent strength. However you look at it, though, these numbers are not very good for Trump. That's clear, Mr. 35%. No. And so the one big thing that we have on the docket here in Washington right now is tax reform, which the president has talked about wanting, congressional Republicans really want to get done, but increasingly cannot agree on how to do it. Just today, Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson came out and said that the Senate's version of the bill, as currently construed, is a no-go. Um, earlier today, I was on uh, Jake Tapper's show and uh, noted that I think the Cook Political Report right now has 37 House seats that are either toss-ups uh, or – they're Republican-held seats that are, like, in trouble. They're either a toss-up or they're a – like a lean Republican, but, you know, bad things could happen there for them. And of the 37, 17 are in California, New Jersey, and New York. So it's not even just Trump states, but it is like places that a state and local tax deduction change would affect. Um, so the politics of tax reform are a challenge. And I think another big piece of this is, is there demand for it? Is, are people clamoring for changes to the tax system? So interestingly, Gallup has tracked this question of what do you think is the most important problem facing the country today? And granted, just because something's not the most important issue doesn't mean it's not relevant for Congress to do something about it. Um, but when you ask this question, as Gallup has been doing for a long time, 
you know, national security issues really big in the 2000s. The economy has kind of dominated things for the last, most, much of the last decade. Um, but when you ask people what the top issue is now, the overwhelming top response is dissatisfaction with government. So whether that's yeah. frustration that government's not doing anything, frustration that government is doing things and you don't like them, frustration that government is doing too many things uh, is unclear. But dissatisfaction with government generally is pretty high, which I think puts Republicans in a tough spot. They want to do something so that the voters who say, you're not doing anything, they can go, no, 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 we reform the tax code. But as we will talk about here, there are pieces of this tax code that are uh, politically problematic. So right now, according to Mon uh, Morning Consult did some polling for Politico, uh, only a third of people think they know a lot about the changes to the tax system being proposed. Um, but then they say, okay, based on what you've seen, read, or heard, do you support or oppose the proposal? And all the question says is it's the changes to the tax system released by President Trump and Republicans in Congress. So if you don't know that much, all you know is who's backing it. And here, I actually think the numbers are okay. They're 47% um, support and 39% uh, oppose, another 13% don't know. Not great numbers, but not bad. Where I think Republicans are going to run into trouble is there's this other question, as you may know, these changes have been proposed. Based on what you know, do you think you and your family will benefit? And only 29% of people right now think, yes, I will benefit. So that's, I think, where you run into the problem of like these numbers being potentially fairly soft. Yeah. So I mean, there's a lot here to discuss, you know, to think about and discuss. I mean, first to go back to the Gallup, what's the most important problem? I don't even think they have taxes on this list. But what's fascinating is dissatisfaction with government is so high, it's getting even higher. Race relations is number two. That's, mm -hmm. you know, a fairly recent thing that has not been happening as long as Gallup has been doing this poll. Then healthcare, and then unifying the country, which is, you know, pretty interesting number four, right? And so you have unifying the country, which you could say is not, is a, you could say it's adjacent to dissatisfaction with government. You could also say it's adjacent to race relations in some way, right? So if you, those three things are not, you know, the economy, which is much further down the list. If you look at, uh, you know, things like jobs, the economy in general, unemployment, those are like all the way at the bottom of this list for Gallup. So just look at that context. And then you have this Republican tax plan, which is not something that people are clamoring for when they think about what their perceptions or assumptions are about who it helps and who it hurts and what they'd like to see versus what they think a Republican Trump tax plan might do. Um, they're not aligned, right? So it's not necessarily a priority. People don't think it's going to help them. They want to see, they don't want to see large corporations, rich, wealthy corporations get a tax cut. That's not a priority for them. That's, in fact, what people oppose. And that's what they think this is going to be about. Now, if you get into some of the specifics of the proposal, doesn't really, it, it doesn't really get any better. There's been public polling on this from Ipsos. There's been public polling uh, from the Hub Project, from Democratic-leaning uh, groups. There's been stuff we've talked about before from Morning Consult and Politico when they test some of the individual components. And, it, it, you know, before you even get into the weeds of the policy, it doesn't look like 
it's a winner for Republicans. And then when you add to it on top of all that, what happens if they fail to do this thing that people don't necessarily prioritize and is not particularly popular and then they fail to do it is when people are worried about government dysfunction. Does that make, does that hurt Republicans if they fail to do something that people didn't want or does that uh, help Republicans? Cause at least, you know, they didn't do this thing that people didn't want or no, that see, hurt them because I, they're seen as dysfunctional. I think it's worse if they don't do it. I think it's worse if they don't do it because like, take a look at healthcare Republicans said, we're going to repeal and replace Obamacare, and then they didn't do it. And now you saw in those exit polls in Virginia, healthcare was like the top issue. And those voters weren't voting for Ed Gillespie. So it's like Republicans took the political hit for repeal and replace, but they didn't actually get the policy outcome they Mm, wanted. mm -hmm. So I think it's worse if you go down this path and then in the end everybody goes, ah, well – People are going to yell at me if if this deduction goes away or whatever, and I don't want – so no. Um, I mean, for Democrats, like a lot of Democrats took political heat and lost their seats in the post – in the, you know, 2010 after Obamacare passed. But you guys got Obamacare. It it We got signed into law, right? And I think right. for Republicans, if you keep pushing these issues and then they become really unpopular and then you go, well – okay, well, it's, we're not going to do it, then you wind up with the political pain and no policy win. And I think right. there is I, – I, look, there's a reason why um, Speaker Ryan and his team will always say, look, this is a middle-class tax cut. There was a hashtag that his team was using, uh, 1,182 more, that that's the amount that the average family of four would save. But the issue with this is that – like. The average family, who is the average family? Is the average family someone living in New Jersey or is the average family someone who's living in uh, Florida where there's no state income tax? You know, And I think one of the issues they're going to face is that reforming the tax code, well, in theory, all Republicans are like, yay, tax cuts. It's much harder to figure out, okay, we have a finite amount of pie. How do we divide up this pie so that the cuts go – the most effective places because when some people and especially people who aren't going to get cuts, but might see hikes uh, that becomes an issue. And the reason why in in this poll, so Ipsos did this really interesting poll where they basically asked people to choose between like, okay, you can choose to cut taxes for a or for B who would you cut them for? And so some of these have like really obvious answers, right? Would you rather cut taxes for U.S. corporations or for the middle class. <laughs> like, right. It shouldn't surprise anyone that 21% of people say corporations and 79% of people say the middle class. And there is no partisan difference on that question. Republicans, 78% say cut them for the middle class. Democrats, right. 80% say cut them for the middle class. So there's a reason why Republicans on the Hill are eager to emphasize anytime they can, hey, 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 this is an example of a middle-class family that benefits. But where things where I think this is the most interesting in this poll, I think if I'm a Democrat thinking through strategy, is this question, which would you rather do? Cut tax or it's cut which is more important, cutting taxes for US corporations or cutting taxes for the wealthy? Which is interesting, right? Because we know in the abstract, neither of those is necessarily terribly popular. 
Um, right. But when you put them head to head, cutting taxes for U.S. corporations is chosen by a three to one margin over cutting taxes for the wealthy, especially among Republicans. So, you know, if I'm a Democrat and I'm looking to push back against it, this is one of those cool moments where you ask a question that seems totally insane and has no, you know, bearing on policy. But from a messaging perspective, you read that and you go, okay, we don't sell this as this is bad because it is a tax cut for corporations that is going to hike taxes wherever. But you talk about the wealthy as the as the bad guy, because here that, you know, when given people that binary choice, that's who they pick. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no, it's 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 super interesting. I will see how it's evolved. It's, you know, the the challenge with these issues, the polling tries to nail down some of the specific components of a proposal, even though that itself shifts. One, two, people are not really evaluating, voters aren't evaluating these proposals by, typically by all the individual components as much as the broader values or maybe one salient item that they think affects them personally. Well, and there are, there's this really interesting poll that we've got included here. It's Global Strategy Group and Heart Research, which are two Democratic polling firms um, that have tested pieces of this. And, you know, things like increasing the child tax credit, which is a huge thing that like Marco Rubio and a lot of the Reformacon folks I, folks I roll with <laughs> really like this idea, right? It's the Ivanka Trump idea. Let's increase the child tax credit. Um, that is supported 84 to 16. So there are things you can do to cut taxes that people really like. Doubling the standard deduction so that fewer people have to deal with the pain and suffering that goes along with itemizing. 84% support that. Um, reducing the number of income tax brackets from 7 to 3, which oddly enough, people think reduces the complexity in the tax code. And that's actually not a huge, like that's more of a cosmetic complexity than a thing that actually makes it harder for you to calculate your taxes. But I digress. But but then they have like the things that are the least popular. In yeah, the what plan. happened to the postcard? To the postcard return, right. returned on an index card. So the, that's not in this list. The things that are the least popular are either the things that appear to raise taxes on people. So eliminating personal exemptions, um, raising the bottom rate. Uh, and things that would cut taxes on corporations. Those are things that are unpopular. So people like anything that sounds like it might simplify or cut their own taxes. But the moment it sounds like, wait a minute, there's actually stuff in here that could be like a landmine I walk on. Uh, someone explain this to me. And tax stuff is very complicated. It's hard to just explain it very uh, quickly and simply. Yep. Yep. Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online, so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google certificates. So something even more complicated than taxes, family relationships. <laughs> That's our <laughs> next topic. <laughs> um, we got a poll that was uh, sent to us. And, you know, guys, we are so pleased when you guys send a lot of times. I mean, a lot of the polls in here are things that people send us and we include. So we really appreciate when folks 
send stuff to us. So uh, it's a poll exploring different kinds of family relationships, married, cohabitating, in a relationship or no relationship. Obviously, family composition has changed a lot, a lot over the last few decades where you can really divide this in a way that maybe you couldn't before. It was just sort of, you know, it was a toggle switch, married or not married. Now there's cohabitating or in a relationship, but not married or no relationship currently. And looking at different demographic groups and different uh, attitudinal groups, uh, attitudinal views, also different attitudinal views by uh, your presidential vote. Um, they have a variety of interesting questions here about what do you think are the most important issues facing families? And you could pick three. Some of them were grouped into economic issues like high work demands and stress on parents the cost associated with raising a family, the lack of good jobs, lack of government programs to support families, things that are more a culture, sexual permissiveness, widespread availability and use of uh, availability and use of drugs and alcohol, crime, uh, decline in religiosity, and then things about family structure, change in the definition of marriage and family, parents not teaching or disciplining their children sufficiently, kids growing up in single parent homes, et cetera. What did you think when you looked at this, Kristen? So I I thought it was interesting when I first took a look and all I saw were the three things, economics, culture, and family structure and stability. My mind was like, wait a minute, what are they separate? How are they separating out culture and family structure and stability, right? Because something like under the culture bucket, which is sexual permissiveness in our society, I mean, that's really linked in some ways to the, the family structure question, right? I mean, these are, so I, I was curious about how they were going to break things apart. But also, you know, they find that, okay, a lot of Trump voters really gravitate toward these family structure issue questions, but not all of them get the same level of result. In fact, one of the things that people view as the lowest concern overall is change in the definition of marriage and family. But instead, it's the idea of parents not teaching or disciplining their children sufficiently, that that's, that's like the top, the top issue facing families um, of all of the things it looks like they, they tested here. Um, and then, you know, within this group is also finding difficult finding quality time with family in the digital age and more children growing up in single parent homes. This is something that I saw in a study about family structure that I think Pew put out like two or three years before I wrote the selfie vote. Which was interesting because you, it, it, instead of the, oh, millennials are totally okay with any type of new family structure, I found that that was not 100% true. That things like, you know, a same-sex couple having kids, like that was like, great, awesome, thumbs up, go for it. Um, but that there was concern that if a kid did not have, you know, two parents or, you know, a lot of supportive adults around them, that was that going to be a problem? Maybe that was suboptimal. And so it it told a more complex story. And I think you see that more complex story here. Um, The other thing that I thought was really... Especially... The other thing... Sorry, go ahead. (laughs) No, sorry. Well, the other thing (laughs) that I found that was interesting is the survey also just gives you this interesting breakdown of um, who is who is married in America? Um, and there has, for a long time, I think especially in some social conservative circles, I get, maybe I should say reformicon circles, this concern about a widening marriage gap. That um, there's a lot of data that shows that being married is correlated. Correlation is not causation, but being married is correlated 
with really like positive outcomes on a whole variety of fronts, including people have higher incomes. And sure enough, in this survey, people with household incomes um, of over 100,000, they are married, um, 70% of them. Um, only 6% are cohabiting, where sort of when you get down to lower income levels, only 25% are married. And so this always, like, it, it raises this kind of awkward question of like, why is that? What is happening? Is, is it just weird correlation? Is there causation that points one way or the other? Is it that people who are married get treated with a certain level of respect and like, oh, you're an adult. Okay. You'll get a promotion. Or does the causality error really run the other way? Cause it means you have someone who is legally committed to you and therefore sort of a, a team, team partner in the project of life. And that allows you to earn more money? Is it just that marriage is more appealing to people uh, in a so certain social, socioeconomic status? And this is like the Charles Murray coming apart question where like, you know, people who are well-educated in urban areas are like, marriage is great. And people in rural, you know, this, the, the hillbilly elegy, you know, rural white America breaking away from marriage. I just, this raised a lot of those, those topics for me, but seeing the cross tab of marital status by all of these demographic and political characteristics was pretty interesting. Yeah. So again, this is the, it's called the American Family Survey, um, and it's done uh, with the Center of the Study of Elections and Democracy. Um, and we'll link to it as we always do. Uh, you know, for me, uh, you know, it always, tricky to ask questions about family um, because it's complicated and it's personal. And there are code words sometimes or code phrases that may affect how people respond to some of these. So for example, change in the definition of marriage and family, that one that you noted people did not raise as a, as a big concern, is that because it sounds to people like you're talking about same-sex marriage. And if you don't think that that's a problem, then you're not going to answer that that's a big problem. Or is that phrase, could that, that phrase mean something else, you know, something more broad than, and maybe we'll get the same response either way, but it, it sounds like it's code for same-sex marriage in some way. Um, so, you know, some of these questions like, uh, are they you know, difficulty finding quality time with family in the digital age. I was surprised that that actually didn't come out more because that's one that I hear all the time people complaining about in focus groups. I'm sure you have too. Like my kids are always on their phone. I can't get them to stop. This is such a problem. I'm amazed that that didn't come up higher than some of these other things. But it, it's always a little tricky when you look at these. Do they sound judgmental? Do they sound like they're capturing a chance? trend or do they sound, you know, in a way that's, that's critical. And it's not a surprise then that Trump voters are more likely to find some of these family structure and stability questions or culture questions to be bigger problems, while Clinton voters were more likely to find some of these economic challenges to be bigger problems facing families like work demands and lack of good jobs and so on. Um, uh, it, it, it's, it's hard to know, it you know, if people are responding to these questions. I don't want to say that they're not responding truthfully, but would people respond differently if they didn't feel like the question was almost cueing them to say, "Here's where the this is where the more conservative or Republican leaning answer would be, and this is what the more liberal or Democratic answer would be." 
Um, if that, if that makes sense, I don't know if you saw it the same way, but I, you know, I always, these are important issues to test. It's not that I'm saying we shouldn't test them. It's just, but sometimes I, I want to think through how the questions sound and are they capturing truly what people are thinking here? Well, there's another table about sort of attitudes about marriage that, um, splits things out by Trump voters, Clinton voters, and non-voters. And it was, I thought these results were really fascinating in light of that, the the questions about, you know, the value of marriage in society. Um, you know, when people are asked, okay, do you agree with blah, blah, blah? And, you know, the statement is marriage makes families and kids better off financially. So that is, that is a, like a causality arrow statement, right? That is saying marriage causes families and kids to be better off financially. And here it's 78% of Trump voters and 65% of Clinton voters say yes to that question. So, you know, pretty significant majorities regardless. And it's hard. We see data all the time where Trump and Clinton voters don't agree on stuff. And so this is right. one of those, it's like, oh, okay, well, they broadly agree. But where that agreement kind of falls apart then is on, okay, is society therefore better off where more people are married? And for Trump voters, the number stays about the same, 76%. But there's a big drop-off among Clinton voters. It goes from 65% think marriage makes folks better off financially, but only 43% think society is better off when more people are married. And I think that's like an interesting sort of difference or, or feeling about, okay, well, I may intuitively or rationally get the data that says marriage is good, for people who are participating in that institution generally. But I would feel judgmental saying, like, gosh, we should just be nudging everybody to get married, where for conservatives, that's like, that's less of an uncomfortable gap for them or leap for right. them to make. Uh, you know, and maybe the challenge for, for me with these questions and maybe the way, and, and it, I think it's okay to measure how people view society, even though we then get these kind of partisan results. But I think another way to explore these issues is to ask people about themselves and their own lives and their own personal experiences. And then in the aggregate say, okay, well, this is how Americans feel about how marriage makes them feel or how what they view the role of marriage is in their own life or and how it, rather than how they just assume what they assume about it, all other families. Yeah, and I'm, if we did it that way, then then we'd be able to draw some conclusions and they would not just be about here's what people think about everyone else's families. Yeah, I would be really curious to see, um, because we know we have these crosstabs of what people's marital status is, is the question, do you think you are financially better off, worse off, or no different because of your marital status? Because you can see some people being like, I'm single and and that's tough and it's it's like I wish I was married because then I wouldn't I would only have to pay half the rent or you know you can see some people but then on the other hand gosh being single means I'm not tied down I can move wherever I want to move I only have to worry about me and that's good for my career so like and that would just be really interesting to explore how much do people think their marital status one way or the other has an influence on their own financial status I think that would be really cool cool data you know, the next table here actually suggests that marital status may not have that much of a role in how people view their own neighborhood, right? So the table is they look at zip codes where fewer than 40% of people are married, zip codes where 
40 to 60% are married or where more than 60% are married. They break it out by zip code. So that part's not self-report. That's based on where people live. And then they ask people about their own neighborhood. Are people willing to help their neighbor? Is this a close-knit neighborhood? Do people in this neighborhood generally get along with each other? Do they share the same values? And you don't see a lot of differences there depending on the level of you know, the marriage level in that zip code. So maybe it goes to show, you know, that there's this perception that people have about other, the role of marriage in other people's communities that maybe it's not necessarily born out in their own community. Yeah. I think on this one, it, I mean, there is also this question of social capital, right? And the more people have tight bonds with other people, then, you know, that does by creating social capital, then are people more willing to help their? I, I feel like I've just turned into a David Brooks column, um, <laughs> but, but I mean that like that to me when I was reading this, it was just like that was where my head was at. <laughs> this like you know places places where people say slightly people in zip codes where they're slightly more likely to be married, people are more willing to help their neighbors. But it's but it's a slight difference. It's not a huge 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 difference. Right. 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 Um, okay. So speaking of family, Thanksgiving is almost here. It'll be here soon. And our friends at the National Retail Federation always have some timely polling for whatever holiday. And they did not disappoint. Thanksgiving indeed is a holiday. And they have some good numbers asking people when they plan on shopping. You have a plurality it's hard to tell here if it's the plurality or if it's over half. I guess it's over half, yes. Say that they're going to shop on Black Friday. That's the big day. Or Cyber Monday, which we did not have back when I was a child. We did not have Cyber Monday. Now Cyber Monday is number two over Saturday, Sunday, and Thursday of Thanksgiving weekend. Kristen, I know you like a good bargain. Oh, my gosh. Are you more of a Black Friday Cyber Monday. I, I I just never want to be in a crowded store. Like there's no bargain that. So I have a that few being weighed down by about like this. with bags at the you know in the parking lot. Like oh, I just can't. I just can't take it. So I think one economic concept that a lot of people don't get, but that I have taken to heart, is that time is money. Time is a finite resource that you have. You cannot create more of it. You have a limited number of hours in which you get to spend alive as a human being on this earth. And so you should be very judicious about how you spend each of those precious hours. And every 30 minutes that I stand in a line waiting to get a discount on a television or something like that is 30 minutes I could be spending on an economically productive endeavor to make money to make up the difference of the discount that I would get on said television. So right. anything that requires me to stand in a very long line is a no-go because it's yeah. making you think you're saving money, but if you are burning time and that time could have been converted into money with productive labor, you Your are time is valuable. screwing yourself. Right. But here's what I love about Black Friday. I love a good outlet mall. I love a good outlet mall when you can go in and you're doing quick strikes and you like, you know how to heat seek. You're like the predator. Like you can just, you know... That I love. And then on Black Friday, you've got stuff that's already like 50 or 60% off. And then it's usually like, oh, it's the holiday season. Another 25% off. Oh, and because you're shopping before 8 a.m. on Black Friday, you get an additional 15% off. And that stuff, I just get like a high from it. And so yes. as long as I don't have to wait in a line, like I love going to outlet malls. 
I will never yeah. wait in a line outside of like like the Kate Spade store always gets some obscene line. Like I don't I don't mess with that. Don't stand in a line. Every minute you stand in a line, you're missing other deals and again the economic uh, opportunity cost problem. So I love going to outlet malls on Black Friday, but that's about it. And I have been frustrated as of late by this like. Oh, we're not going to open at midnight. We're going to open at 11. Oh, you know what? We're going to open at 9. Well, we're going to open early. You know what? I am coming down from a turkey high at that point. I'm still a little tryptophan drunk and maybe I have a glass of wine in my system and I don't want to go to the store at 9 p.m. 9 p.m. is when I need to be like lacing up my running shoes and starting to get caffeinated. So I am hopeful that society will push back against Black Friday creep. Start at yes. midnight. Otherwise, I mean, society. Look, decline is a choice. I think we should choose not to. De- I should. We should choose not to enjoy your. Well, that is. There is mm-hmm. a political movement to, you know, let your employees spend their Thanksgiving holiday with their own families rather than working in the stores to get people their something discounts. The, but the, the Chick Fil A crowd and the the labor movement should be able to agree upon. Right. This is where yes, everybody yes. give your employees. But you know what? If I put on my crude hard, you know, capitalist hat, I say, well, if the, if stores are paying higher wages on Thanksgiving, you know, in order to in, encourage employees to take on those extra hours, then is everybody benefiting? Wouldn't an efficient market figure that out? I don't know. I don't know. This is why I'm not an economics PhD. But I do know standing in line to save money on stuff is no. baloney. That's a mistake. Unless you're That's a mistake. A lot. A lot, That's a mistake. Lot. And it stinks. And it stinks. Um, okay. So here are our key findings. We don't need more polling to know that harassing girls at the mall is bad, but we'll probably have more soon, more polling. People are worried about government dysfunction, so we'll just stick with taxes then. And we're thankful for our listeners. We are so thankful that we'll be here next week, too, because neither of us are traveling. Margie, I just realized something. Your I don't need more polling. There's a Republican polling firm that I think sometimes does work for the NRSC that is literally named more, M-O-O-R-E, information. That is the name of a Republican polling firm. What if they did the NRSC poll? Whoa. God, Ariel... Edwards Levy is going to, like, go bananas. I know. I know. Okay, as soon as we finish this episode, I'm going to tweet out this conspiracy theory, and we'll see what Then we'll, we'll let, let, let the magic happen. <laughs> let the internet magic happen. Oh, yes. Well, <laughs> listeners, if you would like to witness the internet magic happen, you can find us on Twitter at, at the Pollsters individually, at, at Margie O'Mero and at Casoltis Anderson, or www.thepolsters.com, or on Facebook, where we post links to the stories we might want to talk about in the upcoming show. Thanks. Bye.